So in season five of Franchise Findings, we're gonna to continue to go through some of the most popular franchises in the United States and globe. Also, we're going through some emerging franchise concepts that have anywhere from two, five, hundred locations throughout the United States growing and looking to take on the world with their franchise system. We continue to interview founders of franchises as well as franchisees. So a lot of information for you. Hope you enjoy season five of Franchise Findings. Patrick Fandaro here, co-founder at Bedded Biz. Very excited to have on Alex Smearsnack of Laundry Labs. He's the co-founder of Laundry Labs based in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're about to cross the 100 mark in terms of uh, franchisee commitments, which is pretty cool, uh, right at 99. Very successful corporate location, a few units already up and operating. Alex, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got in the laundromat space and, and what kept you in that, in that industry vertical. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, thanks for, for having me on and, and letting us share our story and, and how in the world we got into uh, the crazy industry of laundry. Um, so for, for me, it started in college. I went to Wake Forest here in North Carolina um, and worked for and eventually bought a, a student-run laundry business on campus called Wake Wash. So that's how I first got my taste of, you know, of entrepreneurship, laundry as a business, et cetera, um, sold that business, and then moved to Charlotte to do consulting uh, for two years, thought it would be entrepreneurial. Um, for the most part, it was, but I just you know, had the entrepreneurial edge at that point, knew I wanted to get back into to business building. And it happened to be laundry again and, and started a uh, started with a pickup and delivery business called 2U Laundry, uh, which was tech enabled door to door laundry and dry cleaning pickup and delivery um, in January of 16. And throughout the last you know, seven years or so have just really iterated on our model and eventually launched a franchised concept called Laundry Lab, uh, which is an elevated laundromat experience. That think your Chick-fil-A of, of laundry um, and laundromat. So really providing this, this 10-star experience for our customers, free Wi-Fi, children's play areas, you know, mobile applications to pay, check the status of your orders, et cetera. And you know, just launched that a year ago, and as you mentioned, are, are at the 99 mark and you know, hopefully by the time people hear this this recording, we're, we're well over 100. Um, but you're having a blast building it and, and well on our way. Well, yeah, this is November 2022. It'll probably be released next month in December. So I'm sure by 2023, you'll, you'll cross that 100 mark. What did your parents think about you going into entrepreneurship after just two years? Like, I worked at JP Morgan for a couple of years out of college, and I, I wanted to try to do my thing. I got some resistance from my parents to to maybe work at a smaller company, which I did. And then I launched a company five years, six years out of graduation, but two years is impressive. Um, what did your parents think and your peers? Yeah. So I think I, I, I got to warm them up a little bit to it in, with the college, you know, safer, smaller scale college laundry business. Um, we, I put every dollar I'd saved into that, which they initially thought it was a little crazy doing that. But and then I think they saw the success. They saw us, how much we were learning, how much it was helping us develop. I mean, all this good that came out of it. And so I think that was a, a precursor for them. Um, my dad was a financial advisor for AXA Equitable. Um, and, and so in a way, was an entrepreneur. I mean, he 100% commission, ate what he killed, you know, type of, yeah. of of career. And so I think he was more comfortable with risk than, you know, a lot of parents probably would be. But admittedly, when I, when we started to you, you know, two years into you know, our careers, my parents were kind of, you know, hey, it's, you know, we spent all this money for you to go to this great you know, university and you got a, a job at a big four consultancy. And uh, are you sure you want to quit that job to go start a laundry business? And 
Um, yeah. You know, so a little hesitant at first, but then, you know, eventually got, got comfortable with the idea of it. Very cool. And how did you decide to pursue raising capital instead of just bootstrapping the, the operations? Yeah. So I, when we first started, we, we bootstrapped the first year to about 80,000 in monthly revenue. And at that nice. point thought, Hey, there's something here, there's something going on. Um, and me and my co-founder had pretty intensive conversations throughout around, do we want to be the laundry guys for the next 30 years you know, and, and be meticulous and, and, and very, very thoughtful about how we build this? Cause there's less room for error or do we go, do we believe that this is a not a winner take all, but a you know top two or three winners take all, and you know there's a big consolidation play here. And if we wait, do we lose out on that and be one of the smaller players that get acquired, or is there a real chance for us to go be like a, a ship, Instacart, Uber, Lyft, etc., where there's two or three dominant players that are, are are in the market? And we we were more of the mindset of let's go raise the capital, let's get bigger, quicker, and have that ability to take more outsized risk, just knowing how capitally intensive this business can be with trucks, vans, washers, dryers, et cetera, and, and, and needing to get to scale quickly. And I imagine like it's professionalized, the franchise model, the, you know, the financials of your, your, your franchisees, at least the top line revenue where there's a lot of industries in the United States nail salons, laundromats, where people are operating on cash and not paying taxes. And Biden's made it very clear, IRS is going after small businesses. And for those that are not operating uh, legitimately, whether it's employment law or flat out cheating on your taxes, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure in, in 2023. So I could see that being a, a net positive for you guys doing it by the book and uh, having sure, making sure that the franchisor, franchisee and everyone's doing it hundred uh, percent compliant and, and paying their taxes, having their employees properly registered. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think you know part of the reason we're attracting the folks that we are is because of the, the the brand, the technology that we've built out. There's bonus depreciation, so as much as there's you know doing it by the books and paying taxes, et cetera, there's also this you know, section. I think it's one at one eighty three, one seventy nine. I can't remember the exact section, but they can do the bonus depreciation and um, you know write off. 800,000 to a million dollars worth of equipment, you know, whether it's all in one year or over the course of That can of be significant. If you're earning a quarter mil of 500K, uh, that's a lot of tax savings. Exactly. So we get a lot of pretty sophisticated investors and franchisees that get attracted to what we're doing. And that's, you know, in, in part, one of the big reasons they, they love what we're doing and because of the equipment and the ability to, to use it as a tax shelter. And how how is like a, a typical location set up? Like what's the you have the the franchisee who ideally is going to open up a few locations and then does each laundromat have a, a general manager or what's kind of like the ideal structure in terms of the employee chart yeah so one of the things that i think the reason you haven't seen a nationally you know recognized laundromat brand is because there's over multiple markets there's diseconomies of scale it's you know it's equipment and real estate it's not inventory, burgers, fries, you know, where you get bulk purchasing yeah. power from a McDonald's or a Five Guys or you know, whatever brand it may be. Um, but there are local economies of scale where you know, if you as a franchisee own five in Charlotte, you can hire one general manager to manage all five stores because there isn't, it's not inventory intensive, it's not labor intensive. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing a lot of people buying four or five plus, but dominating one market versus owning 20 of them across 
six markets. Yeah. And, and so the, the model, you know, really is, you know, if you can get four to five stores open, one, one general manager managing all five of those stores, um, it's a relatively low labor uh, model that has, there's a, a, a strong, consistent customer base that this is non-discretionary spend for. And then we have this pickup and delivery component that we offer right now. It's not required. It's, it's an add-on and 90% of our franchisees are coming on because they want it. But we run a pickup and delivery business called 2U Laundry. Think of it as your Instacart, DoorDash, Postmates, et cetera, equivalent of what those businesses are to any fast casual restaurant or you know, quick service restaurant. Where 2U, we manage the employees, the customer acquisition, the customer care, the drivers, the vehicles, all that's us corporately doing that. We then go bring that volume to you know Patrick's Laundry Lab and say, hey, we'll bring you another three to 500K a year of additional revenue. All you need to do is clean it. And there's no additional startup costs for that. There's, you're using the same assets and team and equipment that you already have. Um, it's more so, do you want to add a few more variable you know, roles and labor to the team to process, to wash it, dry it, and fold it? But again, it brings in another half a million in revenue. How about like on the, on the B2B side? whether it's gyms or other type of businesses that might need laundry service. Yep. So we, we facilitate a lot of that as well too. you know, yoga, yoga uh, studios, salons, uh, gyms, dental offices, et cetera. We'll go facilitate all the pickup and delivery for that. So that you again, as a franchisee can focus on, Hey, how do I build an incredibly tight, high quality four wall operation and not have to think about customer acquisition, customer support, vehicle maintenance, hiring, firing, managing drivers, et cetera. There's already enough to bite off and chew on within the you know, the four walls, and that's what we've learned ourselves. You know, vertically integrating the whole thing, managing all three or four of those components, we've just learned that it's a lot, you know, at scale to to try to to manage. And so, let's you know make sure that every group can focus adequately on on their piece. So the franchisee essentially is focused on on hiring, training, firing, and making sure the operations within the within the laundromat are are going well. Yep, and then we are basically a demand aggregator. Think of us as what again Postmates, DoorDash does to McDonald's, Taco Bell. It ends up being you know, thirty, in some cases forty percent of that 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 location's revenue. But all that operator had to do is and their, and their team had to do is make more burgers, make more fries. It wasn't go out and yeah. build an app hire drivers, buy vehicles, manage vehicles. It was just keep doing what you're really good at and we'll bring you the volume. And what's the revenue split or is it like a range for the pickup and delivery that's going, that, that they're going to be processing? Yeah. So the way we set it up is we wanted our franchise partners to be just as incentivized and motivated to clean a bag of laundry that we dropped off as someone who walked in off the street and dropped it off. So yeah. in laundromats today, Majority of the revenue, 90% plus is self-service. People coming in, putting quarters in or using some sort of app to, you know, to pay for the washers yeah, and dryers. The card. The other 10% is drop off, you know, wash, dry, fold. It's people that don't want to do it themselves. They'll drive in, they'll drop it off and you charge them anywhere from a dollar to a dollar fifty per pound. So we pay our franchise partners that same dollar to dollar fifty per pound to clean every pound of laundry that we bring them again. So we want them and their teams to be just as motivated to clean a bag from us versus a bag off the street. So that the economics make sense for them or just as exciting, enticing versus us going and saying, Hey, we're bringing you thousands of pounds a day. You need to give us a 30% discount and squeezing them and squeezing yeah. them. Right. And so we ask for a little bit of a discount. Like we need to make sure that we're covering the cost of pickup delivery, but we're fine running sure. to you at a, a thinner margin because ultimately we own the franchise business as well. And we, we, we want everyone to be 
successful in a yeah, lot. Yeah, you'll get the royalty back. What What do you guys charge for the royalty for uh, Launder Lab? Six uh, percent. Okay, nice. So yeah, to you could be running at a thin margin, but you're you're pumping a lot a lot more volume at the franchisee level. Correct. And then you get you get it from there. Exactly. And so that's that's our way of. Again, we need everyone to be aligned, and so if we need to be thinner margin on two, you we, we make make up for it in other areas. And then, so from what I understand, like a typical laundromat, they're largely catering to someone that's lower class, lower lower middle class. But it seems like for a laundry lab, you have that base that's coming to the to the laundromat, and then you also have the upper middle class that they're doing pickup and delivery, and then you also have gyms and and the kind of the B two B clients. Yeah, so we really get to the, the beauty, I think, of the model, and of course I'm biased, is that we get to use one asset base to clean a whole spectrum of, of different customer bases. You get the lower end, you know, you know, lower income demographic that doesn't have their own washer and dryer. We build this beautiful experience for them. We kids play area again, amenities, Wi-Fi, so that they take pride in going to this place that typically they go to and are they feel unsafe, scared. Uh, less than, and now they get to go to this place where it's, hey, this is mine. This was built for me. I take pride in it. I'm going to take care of it like I would my own my own home. Um, so you get to service that group, but then you also have this crazy busy family that has the disposable income. Both parents are working. They just want time back. You just say, take that same, you know, that customer and bring their volume into the same the, the same place that that other group is coming into, and you really get. It creates all sort of diversification within the business of, hey, if there's a bad you know, economy takes a turn, you've got this group to, to, you know, that's really going to increase and in spend and time and volume. And if things are great across the board, you got both groups coming in. And, and so it really adds, you're not single threaded and reliant on one customer base. And so it really, we've seen it happen through COVID. We've seen it happen even now as things are starting to enter into a recession, both balance each other out incredibly well. And if you're, you know, man, say you're investing over a million dollars to open up a launder lab or $5 million opening up five and, and kind of totally conquer an area. If it wasn't inherited, your, your time is probably pretty valuable. So you could be the one grinding and trying to get relationships with the gyms and, and the yoga studios to get that incremental revenue. But your time is probably best spent doing other things, whether it's developing a second uh, laundry lab or you have other uh, business endeavors. So I like that model and talking to some independent laundry mat owners that are high income earners and, and they have a lot of different things going on that one in particular told me like I can go and, and really hit the B2B market, but it's going to take a lot of time building relationships and I, it's just better that I do other things. So that laundromat's probably at like 600K, 700K and and isn't really breaking out, can't can't get that much higher because the time of the owner or the key employee is just not worth it doing that, that doing that extra work. Right. And that's where I think, too, and we haven't experienced it exactly yet because we don't have you know regional or national scale yet. But in franchising, as you know, I mean, it becomes a pretty you know, small world. And we're already talking to the, you know, perspires of the world that are these you know, sauna concepts. And we're talking to yeah. other gym franchise concepts. And they're all asking us, when are you going to be in these cities and these cities? Because right now we're spending two grand a month on laundry and I have my staff doing it. It's a waste of time. And we're buying washers and dryers. <laughs> and it was part of this business that we didn't mean to get into, but it was a, necess it was a necessity. We need towels. Um, and so I think yeah. the bigger we get and the more locations we have, we're going to be able to start going to and having national account agreements with perspires and orange theories and, and, and what have you to help facilitate their, their laundry needs. 
that makes sense. Serious business development efforts where for a franchisee, it doesn't make sense like spending one to two years on like a national account if you're just going to be able to benefit in that local market. Right. And tell me a little bit about the equipment costs. Are there discounts passed on to the franchisees? Do they get it at the wholesale rate? How, how does that work for that million plus investment to open up a laundry lab? Yep. So a majority of that um, that total initial investment is equipment. It's, it's you know, there's a good bit of improvements, but it, the the lion's share is equipment. Um, we have relationships with equipment manufacturers where we're getting you know in the in the ballpark of forty percent discount on equipment that we pass directly to our franchisee. It ends up equating to your first five years in royalties are covered through that discount of what you would pay on your own had you gone you know as an individual. That's so amazing. Think, so you guys don't take any rebate on the equipment? Not just, today. I think, you know, at some point that might make sense for us to do or to explore doing. But right now we're saying we need to make sure that the first priority is that every single franchise partner is successful and that we're doing everything. Yeah, that they're know. making money fast, ideally, and then they yep. invest. And so once yeah, we've we get... seen it where a lot of franchisors like have the option to have the rebate in place. And like if if the franchise war has a full time guy is paying 100K a year just negotiating contracts, it could make sense to at least recoup that cost for the person negotiating. But that's nice that you're, you're passing on right now the full the full savings onto the franchisees. Yeah, I think I think that could change over time. I think as we part of us are the mindset of do things that don't scale, do the things that really champion and put the customer first. And then as we get more data and understand exactly the different revenue streams, how quickly they ramp, how, you know, what royalty revenue looks like over X scenarios, then we can adjust and modify and, you know, add a rebate or, or, or not from there. Is there some like other industry or business and, you know, that you've looked in that's been, you know, revolutionized by, by technology, whether it's through franchising, license or, or kind of corporate locations that have drawn inspiration to you and your partner? Yeah, so a big one that's really taking off right now, I guess there's kind of two categories, but one of them being, this is the most analogous, is car washes. I mean, you're seeing a ton of car wash roll-up and, and franchising right now, International Car Wash Group, Magnolia yeah. Car Wash. I mean, there's a ton of them popping up, and I think it's very similar. It's water, you know, it's a lot of utilities, water, electricity. So for the most part, a fairly passive business if you're not doing, you know, the add-on services like we are with 2U or car washes might be doing with, you know, straight to your home or, you know, other detailing services that are outside of just the standard car wash. Uh, but I think car wash is very analogous right now. You're seeing it just blow up. Private equity is loving it. Franch you know, a lot of franchisees flocking to it. And then dog, uh, you know, dog bars and dog parks, I think, is another one where, um, and that more represents the 2U side, but it's a this affordable luxury. People care a lot about their dogs. They want somewhere to go. And there's a big service component, unique real estate that you need. And so we look you know, to that that industry and, and that that model as well to see if there's anything that we can learn from it very cool yeah it seems like car wash there's probably some lessons learned and for prospective franchisees it's a little nicer the laundromat just because the entry level where our car wash you're generally owning also the land and it's like three to seven mil from what i understand for some of these uh, opportunities and i think we'll start getting more investors and franchise partners that buy the land as well right now of our 27 franchisees, I think there's two or three that are looking to buy the real estate, but 20 of them that said on their second one, that's their plan. The first one, they just wanted to get into it, you know, a lease is faster. They want to get up and running and they get their first one going and then they'll, they'll buy the land on their second one. 
and what what's like the ideal square footage for a laundry lab? Yep. So typically laundromats are 1,500 to 2,500 square feet. They're small, hole in the wall, uh, not a lot of room to even stand while you're in there, uh, let alone sit while you're waiting. And so we've, you know, our first corporate store is 6,500 square feet. It's you know, three times, two to three times the, the size of your typical laundromat. So we're pushing for larger, you know, 4,000 plus square feet. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the 6,500 that our first one is, but 4,000 plus, make sure there's plenty of room for customers, machines, but then also the 2U business if you want to do that, that processing volume. Do you have a specific demographic where it's like you want to have a zip code that the average family has $40,000 in income, $50,000 in income? Because right now it seems like a lot of laundromats are not in the best neighborhood or not in the best block, which can be nice in terms of a cost savings for uh, the lease or if you're going to own the, the property as well. Yeah, so it, on the laundry lab side, it typically is lower income demographic, less than 50K household income, um, high density of apartments that don't have washer and dryers in, in unit, you know, but it's a, a room in the basement with four washers and four dryers for the 300 <laughs> doors that are there. And it's just, you know, it's a nightmare yeah. for that, that customer. Um, so we're looking for areas like that, class C, class D property. So it is a lot cheaper, good real estate opportunities. And, and, you know, thankfully, we've been fortunate to work with an investor that you know, is coming into our business here shortly, who has a team of 100 people. They do incredibly rigorous data uh, science for site selection, nice. um, and they've mapped the whole country. So we know how many laundry labs could, could work in Houston, Dallas, Charlotte, Charleston, Atlanta, you know, all these cities. We now know how much inventory we have based on available you know, penetration through demographic data and, and, and data science. Yeah, it seems like the key. And I imagine it's you don't have to necessarily have like the best location, like where it's super visible, because once the customer knows or they have a friend tell them, then they can go to the laundry lab location. So you don't have to pay, you know, a premium for being like on a quarter corner lot. No, parking is really the most important thing, um, because, again, people are okay. there for 90 minutes across multiple loads and dryers. And so you really do need a lot of parking. Um, and so we have a mixture of inline stores, but also end cap, out parcel. And the ones that are out parcel standalone do ramp and perform better over time um, versus inline okay. is cheaper, but you won't ramp, you won't ramp as quickly. And what's the process in terms of getting started? So you sign a, a franchise, you go through the discovery process later on, both sides are comfortable. They evaluate you, vice versa. Signing the franchise agreement, how long does it take to, to get open in a typical market? I know Charlotte's probably gonna be a lot different than LA or Miami for, for permitting and everything, but what's a kind of a typical uh, timeline? Yep. So right now uh, we're looking at like 14 months from the moment you sign your franchise agreement to the moment you have your first customer, you know, use a machine and, and you know, and, and generate revenue. Um, most of that's in the site selection and permitting process. Once we get site selected, at least negotiated, it's three, three months, you know, four months tops to, to, to build the whole location out. It's really the site selection process that's we're very slow and, and thoughtful about because this is such a, Less so than a, a quick service restaurant, but it is such a site driven business that you need to be in the right neighborhoods that aren't gentrifying too fast, um, that have a high density of the right population. And you can't move, it's not cheap to move this equipment so you, and you have to get it right. Yeah. And once it's there, there's not a lot, I mean, there's a, 
a degree of stuff that we can do on the marketing side to attract people to it. But a lot of it is, you know, once it's there, people are going to, it's in their community, it's in their backyard and marketing can't make up for a D site. So we need at least a you know B plus site. And so we're very thoughtful and slow and methodical about where we build these locations. I like it. And in terms of KPIs for franchisees to focus on, like, is it, is there a, a metric in terms of like the number of customers they have to have daily or weekly? Like, what are you like, Hey, you need to hit this mark metric and then you'll break even. And then you hit this metric and you're making good money. Do you, is there like a, a, a couple numbers that, that are really important to the success of the franchisees business? Yep. So two things that we look at that are pretty specific to the laundromat industry is turns per day. So let's say you've got a you know, hundred machines in there. You want on average, those machines turning at least three times a day, three, three turns per day should get you to break even or, you know, a, a pretty good laundromat. Um, four or five plus is a phenomenal laundromat, high margin, you know, high revenues. Our, our store, for example, did 6.7 or so turns per day. It's, you know, it's one of the, it's, it's Solid. does incredibly well. Um, and so we look at turns per day and then uh, open hour utilization. And so if, you know, of the available hours across all machines, if there's a hundred, you know, we're looking for 15 to 20, 25% utilization, which seems low, but for the industry is incredibly high. And what are the hours? Like what, what hours should a franchisee be, be open? So we do seven to 11 and there's you know, multiple schools of thought. A lot of laundromats are 24 seven, but our thought is that yeah. nothing good happens after 11 and you know, seven, seven to 11 is plenty of time for people to come in, whether it's before work, after work to, to use the equipment. So Alex, do you have any closing thoughts for prospective franchisees or even at franchise findings? We have a lot of current franchisees that might be looking to invest in a second or, or third concept. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we've honed you know, further and further into the model, we've realized that there's a lot of attractive aspects of what we're doing, the, you know, the tax benefits and, and tax you know, haven through uh, the equipment depreciation. If it's an operator that purely wants to run a fairly passive business and just a laundromat, you could build three or four of these in a market, have one GM that can manage all four of those locations for you, the real estate piece, et cetera. But then there's this other group that we've started to attract that does have a lot of past operating experience. You know, we've got a 57 unit McDonald's owner, we've got a 13 unit McDonald's owner, 11 unit Planet Fitness, a lot of you know existing multi-unit franchisees and other brands are starting to you know, get attracted to what we're doing because of there's no inventory, there's the equipment piece, there's, you know, it's relatively simple and it's recession resistant. And so, and I, I asked Clint, our, one of our McDonald's you know, franchisees, if I could quote this, I, you know, as I tell our story, but he said, I'm better off building three of these than one McDonald's because it's cheaper and the and cash flow is higher and I don't have 40 employees <laughs> and a bunch of inventory. And I was like, all right, can you put that on like a billboard for us and, yeah, and let that. us use it? But I mean, he's, 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 he summed it up really well. It's again, no inventory, low labor, uh, you know, tax depreciation. And, and so there's a, a number of, of, of benefits that we're you know, starting to hone in and build personas around. So long-winded way to get to, we're looking for you know, good operators that have past you know, operational experience, whether that's in franchising or not. Um, what we're starting to shy away from is this being, you know, a first-time business or a corporate executive that, you know, this might be their for first foray. You know, we, we have a lot of that. And we welcome it now, but we're starting to realize the really you know, good operators are the ones that, that have some of that existing experience already. Have done it before. They're probably exactly. going to hit the ground running a lot faster. 
Yep, and they have teams in place already too, where it's like I've got a GM of my Planet Fitnesses who's going to you know build a team out underneath him to run the laundry labs, and so there's already this built-in infrastructure that that comes with them that's really valuable too. And compared to the gym space, like we've seen Planet Fitness stock, it went up a bit, but it's been kind of flat at least for the last few years. And there's just a lot of competition with technology and with consumers being less likely to sign up for a whole year membership and wanting to have things more on demand or month to month, which hurts a lot of these models that are reliant on the consumer only showing up, you know, for a few days out of the year. Um, so I can imagine for the industry that you play in, like there could be technology changes, but people still need to wash their clothes and we're hundreds of years away from like having some like I guess, non-water-based, non-machine kind of way to cl clean clothes. Right. That's not so costly. <laughs> right. And even that, like I saw someone sent me a video the other week of a, a folding robot. And people have been, people have spent hundreds of millions of dollars at this point trying to figure it out because yeah. everyone hates folding and everyone's <laughs> got to do it. And this robot takes this shirt and it takes three minutes for it to fold one shirt. And again, it'll get better and faster over wow. time, but you know, our consumer is going to pay 600 to $1,000 for this machine, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe someday. And again, there's still, there's still a group that can't though afford that. And they're going to have to go to a laundromat. And that's where, again, I like the diversification of what we're doing is you got the low end customer that's always going to have to use it. And you got the more fluent customer that, you know, if they have the disposable income and they don't want to do it, they're going to pay someone to do it. And why not pay us to do it? Yeah, Alex, I love the industry. I love the, the work that you and your partners are doing. Um, we'll be sure to include a link to, to your website for anyone that's interested in a Laundry Lab franchise. And thanks again for, for joining today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free to also drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.